It's time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines. A panorama of the world of sports. Stories, comments, and opinions. Now, here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. Who wants to talk sports on a Thursday? We do. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, along with my partner from left field, John Riley. We welcome you to the Dixie Line Lumber and Home Center Store Studios in San Diego. We welcome you to Hacksaw's Headlines, our weekly Thursday podcast brought to you by Dixie Line Lumber. There are nine locations in San Diego to serve you. They've been in business for 100 years. You've got projects to work on. You need them they become your best friend think about projects think dixie line lumber and home center stores john riley good afternoon what an unbelievable weekend and week of emotion we have Mm -hmm. as we go towards this great sports weekend yeah i think the whole san diego community are kind of mourning the loss of a great one but there's still a lot of sports information to talk about ton of things to talk about and let's talk about a couple of quick things right at the top of our uh live stream one is the brand new hacksaw group that we are forming the insiders group <laughs> explain to everybody that watches our podcasts on thursday the bonus podcast on monday how we now want people to join our team yes yeah, so you can join the team uh it's hacksaw's insiders group and you're going to have access to a lot of bonus content in fact we just sent out the first email to the list this morning the best 15 minutes in sports we got a response from one of the guys saying oh my god this is incredible the data that hacksaw puts together every day i mean it's how this dude preps for the show <laughs> So um, if you want to sign up and get on the list, you know, just go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com, put in your name and email, and we'll be sending you updates. We've got a bunch of creative ideas for 2024. And by the way, at the end of our podcast, are you going to join us? You are hereby requested, mandated. You are bleeping ordered to join us. We started this thing called Fans Forum. It was an experiment. It's just exploded. You got questions. We know we got answers and opinions. John, explain how Fans Forum works for everybody that watches our live stream. We've got a lot of housekeeping before we get started. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so Fans Forum is your chance to get involved. I already see Raul and Sergio that are in line waiting to talk to Hacksaw. If you have a comment or question about anything in sports, just type it in the live chat on Facebook or YouTube. And a reminder, if you like sports... Have you sampled what I do every day? Have you sampled my website? That's the address right across the top, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. You check it, you won't believe the volume of information that I provide, the best 15 minutes in sports, my one-man's opinion columns, Hacksaw's mini-polls, etc. Okay, that's the business of our podcast. <laughs> John, let's get started. we got a lot of topics on the table to roar through in the next hour. Yeah, so I think we're all remembering Peter Seidler. It's been an a really emotional week in San Diego. Yeah, it really was. It's almost as if you lost a good friend. It's almost as if a family member passed away. The response in San Diego, the response across Major League Baseball has been phenomenal. That's a great headline you posted there. How do you evaluate the value of a man like Peter Seidler? Uh, Is it on business accomplishments? You know, he created a $5 billion investment company in the late 1990s. Do you validate him, his personal goals, succeed in business, succeed in Major League Baseball? Is it about relationships with big business, with baseball executives, with his players, with John Q. Fan, with the media? 
Do you evaluate him on his charity work, what he does, did for the homeless, abused children, battered women? Most amazing aspect, I emailed a number of my baseball contacts and said, give me a phrase to describe who Peter Seidler is, and it's phenomenal. Amazing angle to the story. He decided to buy the Padres while he was undergoing chemo treatment in Marina del Rey. Wow. He, he of course, came from the O'Malley family. Mm -hmm. That was all baseball dating back to Walter O'Malley moving the Brooklyn Dodgers to Los Angeles in 1958. And he was involved with the Dodgers, and he came here. He was eclectic. He was generous. He was warm. He was positive. He was dynamic. He was diverse. He was a listener. My relationship with him is kind of cool. I didn't know him when he was introduced as co-partner with Ron Fowler after they bought the franchise from Jeff Morad. He came up to me afterwards and introduced himself. He was a listener of my shows on 690 and 1090 in Los Angeles. Nice. I could not wait to get on the freeway at 405 on the 405 <laughs> to get the best 15 minutes in radio. Phenomenal, phenomenal P1 listener. How unique an individual was and. He and I got along, and he read my website, and he read my one-man's opinion columns, and sometimes he would agree, sometimes we'd disagree, and we'd exchange emails. I'd get emails from him at 3 o'clock in the morning. Really? Which is absolutely amazing. <laughs> Once or twice, he texted me, forgetting what time of the day it was, and my phone went off at 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> uh, unique. You know, in history, Ray Kroc saved the Padres from moving to Washington, D.C., John Moores and Larry Lucchino reinvented Padre Baseball, Petco Park, World Series teams. Seidler took this thing to a new level with his decision to push all those chips to the center of the table to try to build a World Series team. He indeed really was the fan's man. And that I think that's the storyline there. I've had a number of people send me phrases that I, I asked some, some agents and other baseball people, give me descriptions. And they said to me that Padre Baseball was part of the reason Peter Seidler was so driven to rehab himself. That baseball was part of his rehab program, and it really helped him a great deal. Uh, what a unique, unique individual. You know, and I was thinking about this this, this morning as I was sitting in traffic. <laughs> Two most impressive people— me, as a member of the media, working with sports people, two of the most impressive people I ever crossed paths with were Padres. Mr. Padre Tony Gwynn, who got it, who mm -hmm. knew what my job was and cooperated. And that man, Peter Seidler, Padre Peter, if you will, Senior Peter, he got it, too, in terms of living life to the fullest. He was such a positive guy, and the things that just people— just wrote to me in the last 48 hours about describing who he was and how he acted and what he represented. Phenomenal, phenomenal person. And he always had an answer, and he always looked at the cup being half full or three-fourths full, and if there was a problem, they would solve the problem. What a, I, I just think, what a spectacular individual. John Rowley says... I just say the word love. I mean, yeah. that's the vibe I always got from him. And, you know, a lot of owners, I mean, there's a lot of really bad owners in sports. And we've had a number of them here in San Diego. But but Peter Seidler was, is so different than the rest of them. I mean, yeah, sure, he's rich and he wants these spending his money on his passion. 
but he's just such a good guy, you know? And I've often said that Steve Fisher, the former coach of the Aztecs, is like an angel. So is Peter Seidler. St. Peter. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, these are like, you know, gifts from heaven for San Diegans. So you know, we're all mourning. I've, I've seen the, the um, um, you know, the, the side at Petco Park up those stairs. I saw, you know. Um, the mural on the wall. The mural. Oh, the mural looked really cool. Yeah. yeah. And I see, you know, you Darvish and his wife were paying their respects. So the community has really come around on this. And it's sad but it's still coming from a place of love, and, and, and it feels okay. I would hope that they would do something spectacular. You know, where they have the the flowers and the pictures they put up the last two days. Oh, yeah. Maybe they should name that Seidler's Stairs. Yeah. Or maybe they should name it Seidler Field at Petco Park. Or maybe the Stairway to Heaven. Not a bad call. <laughs> Uh, come up with an insignia, a baseball diamond, and the letter P. Not for Padres, but for Peter. Ah. Instant into the Hall of Fame at Petco Park with the Padres. Oh, yeah, that's so, like an I easy decision. There's yeah. so many cool things that they can do. And we will never forget the guy. But I thought about all the unique people that I've crossed paths with as a working member of the media. Some good, some bad. And I just, it's just, the parallel between... Mr. Padre Tony Gwynn and how he treated us and how he was always available. And Senior Padre Peter Seidler and his response all times, all hours of the day. I ran into him downtown in a CVS drugstore. He was buying shaving cream. We went <laughs> and stood outside and talked. Nice. I ran into a parking lot across the railroad tracks from Petco Park. And he had grocery bags. He was going into his office. But uh, man of courage. I mean, he fought cancer for a good 15 years. Yeah, he Three did. times. And yeah. that that takes unbelievable fortitude no to face that on a day-in, day-out basis. And yet, he was so optimistic about anything and everything you would ever bring up. He brought me up to his office one day, and we just sat and had coffee and just talked about him, talked about my background and all that. And it was like, it wasn't a museum. There weren't jerseys and that plaques on the wall. He had a library all the way around his office and he had all these historical baseball books and nice and we pointed out he had like nine books on Jackie Robinson written by all these great really? authors and I said well I've read books 1 3 and 5 on Jackie mm -hmm. so great man just absolutely great man so we reflect on specialness and St Peter he really was special I think Petco Park really inspired him I think baseball was a critical part of his recovery. And in closing, he is the only person I know who came from Dodger Blue Heritage that was accepted in San Diego. Mm -hmm. How about that? Yeah, that is. <laughs> I mean, there's a couple of guys that are on that list that came from Dodger Blue that were never 100% embraced, like the Garve, yeah. you know? But Peter Seidler, what a special man. And there was a quote in your One Man's Opinion column. Let's see if I got it right. It was like an ordinary man with extraordinary accomplishments. Bingo. And that just really summed it up. I mean, he's just a man of the people. Hey, fans forum, chat boxes open, opinion, memory, Peter Seidler, Feel free to join us. When we're done, we'll go from this desk to the Fans Forum desk. We want you to be part. 
We've got a lot of other baseball topics on the table here. Okay, so there's a lot of, yeah, we're talking about some of these Padre players that could be moving, but the big question a lot of fans are asking is who's in charge now? Well, nothing changes. They today appointed the CEO of Seidler Equity, who will be the point man, the contact man with MLB. He's already Eric Kusnita. He's already mm. been running the franchise since mid-July when Peter took ill. Mm. So there'll be no change there. Now, there will be change, obviously, in budgets. The payroll is going to come down from 253 maybe down to 200 But Preller will call all the shots, and Preller will walk into Kusnita and Eric Gruppner with whatever the proposal is on a contract for this guy or this trade they're going to make, this contract they're bringing on, what they're going to get rid of. So I think the operation will continue as is at this point in time. So we go towards what's happening on the player front. How about Blake Snell, second Cy Young Award of his career? Could you have ever imagined a year ago today doing this podcast would be talking in those terms about about Blake Snell? Yeah, no way. We never would have thought it. He ran away with it, got 27 of the 30 first place votes. Uh, team didn't make the playoffs. He did what he could. 14-9 and nine record. That doesn't sound impressive. But then when you realize his ERA was 1.25 from May 9th to the end of the season, 1.25 ERA. That's Bob Gibson-type numbers oh, yeah, from way yeah. back in the day. Now, I was a little bit stunned as he accepted the award. And on the Zoom call, he said, yeah, I've waited a long time for free agency. I am ready. And he made a really offbeat comment, but he's kind of offbeat. Blake Snell said, I want to ask the question about going into the free agent market this week, <clears throat> this month. He said, well, I'm looking for a team that will make me the best of me. I'm looking for a team that has the ability to win for a chunk of years. And I thought to myself, well, you're in San Diego. <laughs> uh, you know, they helped you fix what was wrong with you, be, be it early run in San Diego mm-hmm. or the tail end of his Tampa Bay era. What he didn't say was it's all about the money. Well, of course. So that hey, congrats to him. He reinvented himself. Ruben Niebla, I think, helped him a great deal. Uh, the catcher, Gary Sanchez, I think, helped him a great deal with stability on the mound. He did salute Peter Seidler at the end of the Zoom call where he said, I've never been around an owner that would stand in the outfield and talk to you for an hour about life mm. as I met with this guy. So Blake Snell, you got the whole Juan Soto situation. Uh, rumors are everywhere that the Yankees are going to make a package offer. Now we hear the Cubs are intrigued by Juan Soto. Uh, you add into the equation, there's people like the Red Sox. If I'm the Padres, I just don't think I can trade this guy right now because I think it'd take way too much out of your roster if you dealt him for a bunch of prospects and one or two major leaguers and the fact you're obviously not going to have Snell and not going to have Hader. John, your turn. My turn. So uh, a couple of things. First of all, yeah, big kudos to Blake Snell. I mean, what a, what a great run he had. Well-deserved. He's got an AL and an NL Cy Young. And, you know, he did it as a Padre. And to your point, yeah, the, the, the team he wants to go for sounds like San Diego. But the big question, of course, is, is if without Peter Seidler, what's the payroll? And are they going to be able to afford 
Blake Snell and Juan Soto, one or the other or both or none. So we're going to have to find out here. The rumors, yeah, keep swirling, but I'm still not sure what the payroll level is going to be now. I mean, well, they say 200. That's what's being intimated by insiders. So 200 places them inside the top 10. That's pretty decent. Now, I tend to think they got 200, but a lot of that's already committed. Okay. Yeah, exactly. But you can go out and you can rent a pitcher. Mm-hmm. You can rent Corbin Burns. You can rent Shane Bieber. There are other pitchers that you can trade for in the final years of their contract that would buy you space and time to the degree that they got from Waka and Lugo and to a degree Nick Martinez. Yeah. And I don't think any of those rentals are going to cost you 16 to $20 million, which is what those guys who opted out are seeking. Now, you're only getting them for one year, but Corbin Burns one year with this batting order, which I think bounces back, mm-hmm. he'd be pretty good. Bieber's a warrior. He had some physical woes. He's got one year left, but 10 to $12 million, I'd take him on a one-year rental. What you have to give up is, is the big issue. They're going to probably have to trade one of their lower prospects to try to get these guys. Because it looks to me as if Milwaukee is in selling mode. Oh, big time. They're gonna. It looks as if they're dumping everybody. And Cleveland's just got an overload of pitchers, so they're going to move the most expensive older veteran because they got more young pups right there knocking at the door. So we'll trust How AJ. How about Cal Quantrill? Well, there's a, there's a health issue there. He had a chronic shoulder. Now, of course— he pitched pretty well up till last year, but his ERA was just under six. Oh. Just wasn't the same guy. But he's on the street. Mm-hmm. He's a free agent. Maybe you get him for six million, whatever the last year of the contract <laughs> is, or maybe nobody touches him. Although I think somebody would take a run at him, maybe get him for a lower price. But yeah, the, there will be rentals, and I think that's where the Padres probably have to go, uh, based on payroll coming down, based on what they're going to have to pay Soto if they keep Soto. And then, obviously, they've got creative ways. They're going to find creative ways to get some pitchers here to keep the bats here. At least that's my spin. Yeah. Well, I mean, we got a bunch of guys that are making around $30 million, and that adds up quick. You know, 30 60 90 120 And so there's not going to be a lot of wiggle room. So it's going to end up being maybe the cupboard bear. Maybe the bottom half of the order may not be very powerful. Okay. Here's a question, fans forum. We're getting to this point now that somebody's got to make a decision you're a Padre fan on our live stream what do you do with the Soto situation jump on board now okay other baseball story here on the west coast this is kind of intriguing and my mind has been changed a little bit along the way based on what I've observed over the last 48 hours it involves Ron Washington halos yeah so tell us what 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 changed for you well he won the press conference Mm -hmm. and baseball people that I network with, I, I asked them the kind of the same questions I, I did. Give me a couple words to describe this guy. Because um, I had an opinion that time had passed him by, had been out of it for such an extended period. And, you know, he was victimized by what he did to himself in Texas. I mean, it ended really, really badly. Nobody wanted to touch him. Uh, and then he came back and he went to Atlanta and he stayed there, I think, for almost eight years. I was surprised he didn't get many interviews from other people. I'm kind of surprised the Potters have had three opportunities to hire him Mm -hmm. and didn't. Well, the comments that were given to me, I mean, it was just an outpouring of compliments from around Major League Baseball. He energizes organizations. He is a worker at heart. 
He's not a punch-in, punch-out, time clock baseball guy. He galvanizes a roster with his sales pitch in the clubhouse. And he won the press conference. He said, I will find leaders on this team, and I will talk immediately, not just to Trout, but also to Rendon. And he says, my sales pitch to my players, baseball has to be your priority Hmm. every minute of every day. Uh, Baseball people told me he is a real stand-up guy. He's a difference maker with young players, and the Angels are going to have a bunch of young ones. He's no BS. It's all about baseball. So it was fascinating. So if there's so many positives about Ron Washington— And Preller walked down that hallway when he worked in Texas with this guy who was manager. How come he never got hired in San Diego if everybody else in baseball is saying, look at what this guy does? Well, maybe Ron Washington wasn't willing to be manipulated by A.J. Preller. (laughs) You know, so maybe they just didn't come together, those two. But you know what's interesting is before Ron Washington was hired, everyone was still kind of, huh, what's going on? Why did you hire him? What about his background? But now since he's been hired, everyone's like, oh, great guy. He's going to be terrific. So I, I've seen him, you know, he's a personality, you know, and he's got a lot to say and he likes to have fun. And I could see him creating an energy, kind of a vibe in that clubhouse to get those guys rallying. So he could surprise us. That being said, he won the press conference He's not going to win with the roster he has right now because Otani is out the door, mm-hmm. and that changes everything. And then you add into that whole scenario and that whole storyline is they have one veteran pitcher left, Tyler Anderson. That's it. That's going to be the ace of your staff. <laughs> and they've got six young pitchers. Some have done okay, like Reed Detmers. A whole bunch have just been absolutely overwhelmed. So they got a lot of work to do. It is interesting, though, because Perry Manazian, the general manager at the end of the Angel press conference, he said, we are going to be aggressive. Rebuild is not part of our language here at Angel Stadium. And I didn't realize this. They have $68 million in cap space, budget space, to go use. Now they got to convince people to want to come there with a franchise that won't have Otani there. So... He won the press conference. Get him some players. We'll see if he can win the game. And my response is, A.J. had three chances to hire this guy. Didn't hire him. And yet, I think I might have canvassed five different baseball people. <laughs> I got this glowing sales pitch about who he is, how he acts, what he learned, what he's learned. Maybe that's got something to do with post-Texas. Well, he was. it was the Jace Tingler hiring, right? Was that the one that was— uh, Well, they had the chance the, before they hired Andy Green. Oh, it was Andy they, Green. Okay, they yeah. They had the chance before they hired Jace Tingler. Right. And now, granted, Bob Melvin, real proven commodity till he got here. But, Bob, they, you know, there was a chance there to do something with Ron Washington at that point in time. And now this point in time, he didn't get hired, so— yeah. Well, it's just like Dave Roberts, right? Yeah. We didn't give him the time of day, and he's had some pretty good success. So that's the latest there, Angel Baseball. Uh, another topic on the table. we got stories everywhere. Yeah, all kinds of ice. I saw these headlines, Lee. you got a lot to talk about here. All right, let's first start with Otani. Marketplace is exploding. The report out of Chicago about two hours ago, the Cubs are not bringing back Cody Bellinger. The Cubs have a lot of budget space. The Cubs are going to try to make the run at Otani. Could you imagine Shohei 
in Wrigleyville, friendly confines of Wrigley Field. Mm -hmm. Think a few balls would be flying out with or without the wind. Oh, yeah. I mean, the fans there would love that. Yeah, so I've been told Dodgers, your Giants, Mm -hmm. Yankees, Cubs. They look like four ready to make a big money deal for Otani. What happens with the Japanese pitcher, Yash Yamamoto? Indications are he's dropping hints. I don't know if he's dropping him through his agent or where this is coming from or dropping it through the media in Tokyo. He wants to play on the West Coast. Hmm. I would have thought that guy would have wound up with the, with the Mets, with Kota Sengai, mm-hmm. who they got last year, or that guy would wind up with the Yankees. But at this point, it does not appear that that's happening. So you got that situation. If he's going to be West Coast, does that mean Otani and Yamamoto, Dodger Stadium? Hmm. Giants need pitching. Seattle's got space and has a history of dealing with those type of people. Price tag's going to be high. I've not heard the Padres mention at all, which is a little bit surprised because Hassan Kim came from Korea and has a great reputation that he's built on the Pacific Rim. So keep an eye on Yamamoto. I don't understand this Yankee story. Brian Cashman, who put on a really flame-throwing press briefing last week about, I believe in our people, and you don't have a right to criticize us, blah, 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 blah. Yankees were wrecked by injuries. He made a comment about Giancarlo Stanton, and he said, because Stanton had a miserable season, hit 191 with 24 home runs. It was more time on the injured list than he was on the field. He said, well, he, I expect him to get hurt again because that's who he is. His agent, his agent went crazy. Yeah. I know Cashman must be losing his mind because the stuff he said last week at the press conference said, I believe in our effing team, even if you don't. He was lecturing the media and, you know, it's just one of the worst records Yankees have had in decades. But why would you make this comment about he's going to get hurt again because that's who he is? Well, he's not necessarily wrong. It's just the wrong thing to say. Oh, you think? <laughs> Reel that one back in. <laughs> Dodgers, uh, we talked a little bit about this. Uh, I think they're going to be active, if not Yamamoto, to go with Otani, then maybe a trade. I think they're going to look at Corbin Burns. I think they're going to look at the Cleveland pitcher. Uh, There's a report that they're closing in on a deal to get Cincinnati second baseman Jonathan India. Oh, wow. Uh, Cincinnati's got a ton of guys coming, and they're looking for one of the younger pitchers the Dodgers have at AAA in just a straight-up swap for India. India would solve one of their infield problems there. Uh, There's also talk, although I don't quite understand why the Yankees would do this, but the Yankees are shopping Glaber Torres, second baseman, third baseman, who's Really been productive last couple of years, but they need pitching. So Torres could be available. And in Milwaukee, I'm sorry, I don't understand this hire at all to replace Craig Council. They went and got Pat Murphy. Pat Murphy. He'd been a bench coach for Craig Council for eight years, coached him when they were at Notre, Notre Dame. But Pat Murphy was here. He was the guy that went into the dugout when A.J. fired Bud Black. Mm-hmm. He didn't want him to manage. He was the most offbeat disinterested participant as a major league manager as I've ever, ever seen. I thought he was a lifer coach. And Milwaukee picked him. I don't Milwaukee's obviously blown up their roster. I mean, Burns, Willie Adamas, Christian Yelich, those guys are all going to vacate. Uh, and have already lost Brandon Woodruff for next year. So maybe Murphy Murphy takes a job because it was about the only guy that wanted to go to Milwaukee, hmm. maybe because he's cheap. 
I thought that was a really strange hire. So I said a lot there. You respond to Otani and Yamamoto and take it there from the Yankees GM and the Dodgers and the Brewers. Well, it's natural to assume that these these, um, Asian players want to play on the West Coast. I get that because, uh, you know, it's, if they want to go home, it's a lot easier. And there's probably going to be a little bit more culture along the West Coast that they'll be able to integrate in. Um, so I get it. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of people chirping. Some people are even on the on the, the uh, fans forum. Some guys are saying, you know, Otani could maybe even stay with the Angels. There's a lot of people that think that could happen, uh, which would be a shocker. Um, but uh, Otani to San Francisco makes a lot of sense because they've been trying to get a big man. And uh, they've, they've tried really hard from Correa going back. And Aaron Judge, too. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, he was a NorCal guy. They thought they had a shot. So they're ready to spend money. Um, Yamamoto, to me, is the fascinating pick here. I mean, that would be a perfect one for the Padres to pick up because they've got to get pitching. Um, and he looks so good in the WBC. But I go, the other comment to make is is about um, Pat Murphy. And before he came to San Diego, I think he was the head coach at Arizona State. And prior to that, Notre Dame. Right. So he's worked with young kids. And, you know, he's apparently well thought of because I remember when he was the temporary where he was the interim coach after Bud Black got fired. He was interim manager. He finished out that season. Yeah. And then then he was on the staff, I think, for Andy Green or something. And the Brewers asked for permission and then they hired him straight away. So there's people that like him, but maybe they think he's a better fit for the young guys or maybe they're just cheap. You know, they're going to have a low payroll. They'll pay the manager very little because council got, what, $40 million for five years. Yeah. I was surprised because I thought this was going to be fun. Murphy had done a good job at AAA for the Padres, seemed to be held in regard. And he got in there, and our our sessions in the dugout with him, he just seemed so disinterested in talking specifics about baseball. Just it, it, To me, it was just a weird vibe. Hmm. And this went on and on. And then they brought somebody else in. They brought in one of their executives who would conduct the press briefing and he would give out information about roster changes and injuries, and he'd answer questions. It was bizarre, and I had, and I I knew one of the executives who was doing it, and he looked at me at the end of one of these eight or ten minute press briefings, and I said to him, "You know, you got a good voice. You ought to be on the BBC." <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen anything like that. A manager is so disinterested, didn't really want to talk to the media about anything and everything. And managers deal with those guys twice a day in the dugout at at 4.15 and after the game, post-game. And you need to be able to talk specifically. So part of the job. Maybe I wore the wrong shirt and tie that day. I don't know. It was just, (laughs) it was really strange. Hey, we get to halftime. We invite you to join us in Fans Forum right at the end. Our Thursday podcast, kicking off this great sports weekend, is brought to you by Dixon Line Lumber and Home Center Stores, nine locations to serve you over 100 years they've been in business. And John, for everybody just join us on the live stream, this thing has exploded. It's all your fault. You're, you dragged me kicking and screaming <laughs> into doing podcasts and doing Instagram, and it had just gone crazy. We got plans for 2024, and we're launching it now by announcing you can be part of our team with the Insiders Group, and how do they join our team? Yeah, so just go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com, and the top of the page, there's an orange box. Just leave your name and your email, and we'll get you involved. And so we've got a lot of special content. We did a the fastest two minutes there for uh, on a previous podcast. We're doing a lot of extra bonus content, and 
we've got a lot of very creative ideas for next year. So if you want to get on board, um, join us in the Hacksaw's Insiders Group. Yeah, just fill it out. Go to my website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. There's a big orange box in the upper right-hand side. Orange, by the way, is the color of the day. Uh, <laughs> fill it out. You'll start getting emails, and we'll be announcing some things going forward. They're going to be cool. We want you to be part of our team. And by the way, when we're done, fans form. Hey, you got to join us. You got an opinion? We want to find out what it is. And check my website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. It's written every day. And by the same token, we want you to share. We want you to subscribe to what we're doing, because then you'll get all the alerts for all the unique and different things. I want you to tell all your friends, Hacksaw is back. And let's talk about the people that have made this possible. Our friends at Dixon Line Lumber Home Center Stores. John, you got projects. I got projects. I know nothing about construction. Those guys are going to bail me out. Oh, totally. They're going to bail you out. You know what's interesting, too, about Dixie Line is that it, many homeowners in San Diego know about them because they have a hardware store. They got a small lumber yard in the back of the, of the retail shop. But, you know, half of their business is unseen to regular homeowners because they sell huge quantities of lumber that are going out to all these custom home developments, to the, a lot of this multifamily dwelling apartment buildings that are being built throughout San Diego. So Dixie Line is part of a large company called Builders First Source, which was the biggest lumber company in America. And so there's a lot going on in San Diego that Dixie Line's a part of. Build it or fix it. Guarantee you will enjoy it with these people, Dixie Line Lumber. We go to the second half. We flip topics on the table. We go from all things baseball to an awful lot to talk about in football. And like everything else, it was quite an emotional week. Yeah, I mean, we had the Brady Hoke news that broke over the weekend, and there's a lot that needs to be done at San Diego State. Yeah, let's talk first of all about uh, the passing of an era, Brady Hoke going into retirement. He's got two games to coach, then he retires. Do you know those guys, those guys being Brady Hoke and Rocky Long, saved Aztec football? Their record since Brady Hoke was first hired, 120-68, and which is phenomenal. All those bowl games. He elected to step aside. Very emotional press conference this week. Um, he said it was time. He had talked privately for a year with his wife about when it was the right time to step aside. He said, hey, I don't pay attention to that record. that, And I was the one that brought up that composite record Rocky uh, and Brady put together. He says, my role is as a coach, coaching football, coaching life skills, coaching young men into grown men. And the outpouring of the players, we were given access to some players. And for the, hear them talk about what, what Brady Hoke meant to them, spectacular players saying, he made me a better man. He made me not only a better football player, he made me a better citizen, a better father, a better adult for years to come. And they talked about the culture, how these two coaches— Brady, Rocky, Brady, have just changed everything at San Diego State. And as one of the players, you know, describe him, he said, Rocky and Brady cut from the same cloth. Hmm. I mean, it was really a cool press conference. And then J.D. Wicker, who's not really been available to the media, he came into the press briefing, held his own separate uh, briefing, and he said, you know, Rocky Long was phenomenal. Brady Hoke's the best partner I could ever imagine. He said, you people don't understand how hard the last four years have been. COVID, mm -hmm. Carson, no fans, the building of the stadium, the Ariza 
allegations, the collapse of the Pac-12 after we worked seven years to get this done. Mm -hmm. He said, Brady held us together through some really, really bad times. And he kind of lectured the media, which is okay. He says, you people have to understand, we've been pretty successful on the field. As as Lee said, look at that composite record. We've been pretty successful (laughs) academically. You know, and all these kids that are graduating, you know, and they use the the term. Sometimes you say, oh, that's a cheap term, Aztec for life. But I think in this football program, much like the basketball program, those coaches have impacted those young men. And it's a, the thing that I like the most about dealing with San Diego State. It's not my alma mater. I didn't go there. It's my adopted school. Quality programs, quality coaches, and for the most part across the board, really quality kids you sit there and talk to these young men it's it's pretty impressive so it it was a tough farewell conference um you know brady does not want a farewell tour he says not about me the coach it's about these kids it's been a ragged wretched football season so i i was pretty impressed with how brady answered all the questions very impressed with wicker i mean he just kind of opened up his heart and he had not been like that for a long time because the last time we sat with Wicker. He was the one that got up and walked out of the press conference in the Arises situation. Yeah. Well, you know, they went through some tough times. We, you know, with the, the list that you said is a huge list of challenges. But to win roughly two out of every three games mm-hmm. for a decade, am I doing my math right? I think I'm right, right? I mean, that's incredible. I mean, that's, that's really good. Um, so... There's a lot to be proud of. And, you know, kudos to San Diego State because the basketball coaches are also impressive men yep. and and are all about this, not just saying student athlete like, you know, a flippant term. I mean, they really care about those kids and finding, you know, the best you know pathway in their life. So Wicker, Wicker has actually a lot to be proud of because I mean, he's been the one that did all that heavy lifting yep. for that stadium. So we're going to see where we go next with San Diego State football. On we go, because now the coaching search has begun. I think they're asking for permission to interview people, and there's a couple of unique names that have kind of shown up in about the last 48 hours. Andy Ludwig was an assistant coach here, young part of the program. Andy Ludwig recruited Ryan Limley, offensive coordinator. So there's a working relationship there. Andy Ludwig went to Fresno State, learned a lot of X's and O's in the throwing game. He's at Utah. And that program has been really dominant. Oh, yeah. I think Andy Ludwig's a hot, hot candidate for this job because he's done everything everywhere he's been. Why not come back to San Diego State, even if it might be for three years or five years? Who knows? Second one, uh, Ken Nuiamatalola, former head coach Navy. Phenomenal job. I Mm. think his record at Annapolis and that's a very unique atmosphere, 103 and 84. All wow. those bowl games with the Naval Academy. Now, last couple of years, not so good. He left. He's actually asked to leave. He's at UCLA as an offensive consultant for Chip Kelly. I think I'd make that phone call to him because that's a very unique man. You're talking about a man with values? Oh, yeah. You coach at Annapolis. And, of course, I'd, I'd mentioned last Monday in the bonus podcast, I would call David Shaw to feel him out. As to whether he wants to return to coaching, he did a phenomenal job at Stanford and then stepped away. Uh, Bracco Mendenhall was at BYU in Virginia. And a guy, if you're talking about the guy taking the step to the next level, ex-Aztec coach Bobby Houck, now head coach Montana, they own the Big Sky Conference 1AA. Maybe you make a call there. But 
Ludwig's name kind of caught my attention because he's been here. The relationship with the offensive coordinator, Ryan Lindley, would have something to do with it. And the fact that he's learned under some pretty good people, Fresno, and at Utah and a few other places, too. Your response? Yeah, that, that's an interesting list that you have there. You notice one other name that people were kicking around on social media was June Jones. What do you think of that? Uh, June's had health issues, and June is not young. I mean, June's got a lot of mileage on him. And he left Hawaii, and he kind of bounced all over the place. He went and worked in the USFL and was a consultant of the XFL. I don't know that he wants to be a head coach any longer, and I think there were some health issues there, too. Was he a head coach at San Diego State at one point? No, not June Jones. He played in the NFL for a while. Yeah. He, he went to Portland State. Okay, but he was with the Falcons, too, wasn't yes. he? Yeah. Um, and then I remember Hawaii for quite a long time, but there was some connection with him in San Diego. I can't remember. Might be friends. I don't know, but mm-hmm. he's never been here at San Diego State. He did a hell of a job at the University of Hawaii. I mean, they were flat on their back. They had money problems, had not won. You know, you think of the islands and you think, beautiful area, recruit. Well, it's a long way from civilization. Yeah, for sure. And, I mean, their road trips are real road trips. <laughs> yeah. You know, you go from Hawaii and play at Vanderbilt in Tennessee, that's a haul. But he got players to stay home. And he had a four- or five-year run because he was a quarterback guru. He played quarterback. Mm-hmm. He played with and around Neil Lomax and in small college Portland State when they're throwing the football on every down. Oh, Neil Lomax. Yeah, yeah, that was Portland State. Yeah. And and June Jones brought that whole persona mm-hmm. to Hawaii. And he got quarterbacks to come there. Current coach is Timmy Chang, who I think had 12,000 yards passing at Hawaii. Now, he was a Hawaiian kid. But, that, I mean, Tim uh, Nick Rolovich, uh, who went on, has now been a head coach in Pac-12. He's a Hawaii guy. So, yeah, June Jones did a good job, but that, that was a long, long chunk of time. <laughs> I think it's a good job. It's uh, They say they're going to pay the right amount of money. So keep that in mind. Okay, we go from that. Let's go to the next football topic because okay. boys are late breaking stories on this. Yeah, with Pac-12, I, I saw like a, like a headline, but I'll let you break the ice. Okay. This is bizarre, everything that's gone on at Pac-12 and the Mountain West Conference. Before we talk about games, this is the story as of Thursday afternoon. On Wednesday in Colfax, Washington, judge ruled Oregon State and Washington State won their lawsuit, and they will take over control of the assets and resources of the Pac-12. Wow. And that's like $400 million in revenue coming in, mm-hmm. $200 million that are part of the conference. Now, they're going to have to share some of that with the 10 schools that are leaving. But the lawsuit that was filed was, we will not allow USC and UCLA and Arizona and Arizona State and all the guys leaving are not going to be on the board of directors going forward. The minute they sign the document to go to the Big Ten, Big 12, yeah, they are off the board. Right. And SC and UCLA and and Oregon, Washington said, that's not fair. We can't have these two other schools control all the financial destiny. What had been set in place a year ago when SC and UCLA were the first to jump, they agreed their board of director would leave the table and not be part of any of the decision making. Right. So that precedent carried into this case and the judge ruled Oregon State, Washington State, you will run what's effectively the PAC-2. That's item one. Just announced within hours today, Oregon State, Washington State have set up a scheduling alliance with the Mountain West. Hmm. The Beavers and the Cougars will play every team in the Mountain West Conference in football only. Um, There'll be non-conference games. 
it's not as if Oregon State, Washington State will be in the Mountain West race. Right. But they will fill out their schedule by playing Mountain West. But there's a proviso there that after they do this for two years, 24 and 25, the Pac-2 can bring in everybody from the Mountain West. In other words, I get the feel that there's going to be an announcement coming that the Mountain West will operate two more years, will dissolve, and everybody here will go there to the Pac-2, which becomes the Pac-12. Wow. Fascinating story. And, of course, there'll be new TV contracts, new revenue, etc. Based on what I've been told, there won't be any buyouts you know, there was a massive exit fee. Oh, yeah. $17 million if you gave uh, one year or two years notice. $34 million if you tried to get out within the a first year. That's all going to go away because I think the agreement is we're all going, we're going to be a Power 5 conference. Okay. Now, it's weird. I don't, do they want San Jose State? Do they want New Mexico? Do they want Wyoming? Now, maybe, maybe with all the assets that the Pac-12 office will have, Oregon State and Washington State can go back and say, we will give them money not to come be part of this, and maybe they'll just take the upper echelon of the conference. But as we sit right now, the document says, after 2025, going towards the 26th season, everybody in this conference will step up and go, mm-hmm. in essence, the Mountain West I guess will dissolve itself. That's the story that's out there right now. <laughs> so it's been a wild 48 hours with what happened with Oregon State, Washington State winning the court case. And now what's just transpired about the alliance of schedule, step one, step two, full-scale merger, doors open, everybody come, including San Diego State. Response that that is the natural thing that we all thought what should have happened in the beginning. So good. Um, and yeah, San Jose State. I mean, that's like a, a that's in Silicon Valley. I yeah. mean, that's an asset right there. And they've been upgrading their facilities, too. And that those football and basketball have been coming around for San Jose State. So you got to keep them. But yeah, so there, there are some schools in the Mountain West that are definitely not sexy. Um but as long as the whole thing becomes Power Five, then I'm like, right on, man. Then San Diego State is where they want to be, where they've always wanted to be. And maybe doing it without having to pay an exit fee. Think it, about that. And that, too. So this could work out beautifully. But, you know, those BCS snobs, you know, that are running those other, the SEC and the Big Ten, are they going to accept this as a, a peer, or are they going to still treat them like a junior member? Okay, if you're an Aztec fan, friend, or alum, jump on board and fans forum. Just give us a quick response to the data that we have just provided. By the way, speaking of the Mountain West Conference, before we talk about the games, Boise State got rid of their coach. Aztecs got rid of their coach. Mm-hmm. Just think, the two flagship programs in the Mountain West have coaching openings. Who could have ever imagined Boise would falter and what's happened to San Diego State? And Hawaii... Nevada, New Mexico could make coaching changes within the next calendar week or two. I mean, we we could have as many as five coaching jobs in the Mountain West that are available. Wow. And I was stunned when I saw the the rankings, the standings, and the Aztecs were at the bottom. And you're like, I haven't seen this in like forever. Let's talk about big games. This used to have a big glow to it. I don't know if the shine has gone away. USC, UCLA, Saturday. Rivalry game, 
play for the bell. You've got one coach, Link Riley, who's under enormous fire for screwing up the season because of his defense. And you got the other coach, Chip Kelly, who's under fire because just the way he acts. Chip Kelly is 33-33 and 33 as head coach at UCLA. They've given him everything. And he's mishandling to the quarterbacks this season. Uh, it's it's something. So you got Caleb Williams going against a really good UCLA defense. But boy, the rivalry, John, just seems to have lost a little bit of its electricity. In the Pac-12, Oregon State, Washington. Big game this weekend. I mean, here the Huskies are 10-0. They're going to run the table? Kind of looks that way. Although Oregon State's defense is pretty good. It'll be fascinating to see because the Beavers have this really tough guy running back, Damian Martinez. He's a thousand yard rusher type guy. They may run the football a lot with him and his backup to try to keep Michael Penix and the Husky offense off the field. So that's an interesting game. Uh, Mountain West Conference. Yeah. You you would say you expected this. You filled this out in your preseason thing. Right. You, you expected Air Force and Vegas to be playing for first place in the Mountain West. Yeah, not in a million years. They're both eight and two. What a phenomenal season. Uh, I mean, there's no doubt that Barry Odom is the coach of the year and his importation of guys in the transfer portal and just making this team come together. Now, I don't know if it puts Vegas on the roadmap forever and ever in the in the conference, but Eight and two Rebels. We haven't seen that in a hundred years. And Troy Calhoun's done what Troy Calhoun's done. Although Air Force, they've faltered. They've lost two in a row, which is kind of stunning. I mean, them getting beat by Army two weeks ago at yeah. home in the in Colorado Springs was a shocker. So that's where we are in the Pac-12. That's where we are in the Mountain West. And John Riley from Left Field says, <laughs> from Left Field says, okay. First of all, are, are they doing four teams in the playoffs? Or are they expanding this year? No, this is four this year. Next year goes to 12. Okay, then I saw some people with rankings, and they don't even have Washington in the Final Four. I think they're on the they're rated five or six, right? They're, they're, they're right there, but a bunch of other things have to happen. Like, are, are the Huskies going to lose a game? I don't think so. I mean, because they're going to play Oregon State, mm-hmm. and they play Washington State, which has really kind of hit a wall. Mm-hmm. So, and now... Washington will probably play Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game. Right. So somebody might lose there, but... You know, I don't, how do you keep those guys out of the Final Four? It's not going to be an all-South Final Four, is it? It's not going to be a Big Ten Final Four. But but of all the of the other teams, they're all undefeated as well, right? Sure. Like Michigan, Ohio State. Well, they'll, they'll play each other, those yeah. two. Um, and then— they got Georgia. Georgia. Is Alabama—have they lost a the game yet? Oh, yeah, they yeah, lost a couple. They've lost a couple. Yeah, yeah. you're right. Exactly. So, um, but there's only a handful of undefeated teams. I mean, I just want a West Coast team to win the NCAA championship. Well, one of them, Survivor Oregon Washington, I think, has to get in. Okay, we go from college football. Interesting weekend, National Football League. Oh, yeah. I mean, look at all these games here. I mean, we had a big one tonight, too. Yeah, we got matchups everywhere. Uh, let's start with Ravens Bengals. You got Joe Burrow against the number two defense in the NFL. Bengals got a bit of a problem because their wide receiver core led by Jamar Chase and T. Higgins is kind of banged up. Lamar Jackson, what a phenomenal season. He's got 15 touchdowns already. He's got uh, over 2,600 all-purpose yards. Their running game has just really come together. And Beckham and Zay Taylor are starting to catch a lot of passes. Uh, this is an offense that's averaging 367 yards per game, Baltimore. The offense is averaging 154 running it. Their running game is now three deep, and that's Lamar as the fourth option running the football. On third downs, Baltimore Ravens, 44% conversions. And the defense, 
Joe Burrow comes to the line of scrimmage pre-snap reads. He's looking at a defense that's got 39 sacks and 15 takeaways. Wow. So this might be hard because since he's not totally healthy right now, they're really banged up. So Ravens, Bengals. Wow. I mean, this is going to be a lot of fun to watch this game. Um I don't know. I mean, Lamar Jackson just never really does much for me. He's I'm not, I've never been a huge fan of the guy, or even the 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 the, um, the Ravens in general. I mean, what was that linebacker they had back in the day that was always getting in trouble? Ray Lewis. Ray Lewis. Yeah, yeah that was a thousand so years ago. I've right? never. Yeah, well, I never really have had warm fuzzies about the Ravens. So I'm all for you know Joe Burrows. Let's line them up, man. Raiders, Miami. Now the Raiders got to play real people. I mean, Antonio Pierce has gotten these guys really amped to go play really well. But I think this is going to be an enormous challenge. Raiders, Miami, uh, Tua, 2,609 passing yards per game, the number one in the NFL, 435 yards in offense. Tyreek Hill's averaging 16 yards per catch. Jalen Waddell's averaging 13. Raiders' offense is just pedestrian. 31st in the league in offense. Defensively, Max Crosby is just playing like the best pass rusher in football. Um, he's done a phenomenal job, but, you know, they, they just don't hold up. I mean, Crosby can't do it all himself. He's got nine quarterback sacks already. He's on, his, he's on a pace to probably get 20. I, I think Miami blows him out, and then all the excitement about what Antonio Pierce has done with two wins in a row mm-hmm. against bad teams, that kind of goes away. Chiefs and Eagles. Jalen Hurts versus Patrick Mahomes. Man, this is going to be good. You got the Eagles, they've won eight of their last nine. Kansas City starting to rally back again. Uh, Jalen Hurts. Phenomenal statistics. 2,600 all-purpose yards, 22 touchdowns he's accounted for. Eagles have the number one run defense in the league. Eagles got 30 quarterback sacks, so they're going to be chasing Mahomes all over the place. Mahomes has got 17 touchdowns, but he's got 10 turnovers on the season. Uh, And Kansas City, after losing opening day, they've been hot. So you got the Eagles have won 8 of 9. Kansas City's won 7 of 8. So keep that game in mind. Vikings-Broncos. Backup quarterback, Josh Dobbs, 101 rating. That's really? phenomenal. That's awesome. In two weeks <laughs> off the unemployment line. Uh, Denver, though, has won three of its last four and lost in everything in Denver. You know, I don't think anybody's ever forgotten that they gave up 70 points and 700 yards in early season game to Miami. Russell Wilson's 18 touchdowns and only four picks. He's not turning the ball over. Mm. Now, He's making enough plays to keep him in games, but it's not the vintage Russell Wilson that we used to know. Only problem is they've taken 30 quarterback sacks. So you got Minnesota against Denver. Chargers go to Green Bay. A defiant head coach, Brandon Staley. I believe in my men. <laughs> yeah, right. They're 0-4 against good teams. Now, luckily, they're not playing a good team. Uh, the Bolt defense is number 31 in the NFL, giving up 393 yards per game. Uh, Green Bay, Jordan Love after a good start. They've lost five of their last six. People have kind of figured them out. They're after averaging just 311 yards per game. I think what could happen at Lambeau Field, I just think they run the football all day. They got Aaron Jones and got A.J. Dillon. If they can run the football, they keep Justin Herbert off the field. I have a hard time believing the Chargers would lose to the Packers. But based on what we've seen with Brandon Staley's team, God, anything is possible. (laughs) 
Yeah, well, you okay. know, your thoughts on the games. <laughs> well, you know, like as the Chargers have a terrible run defense, right? Yep. So, yeah, that, that's that's the recipe for the Green Bay to have a win at home. Um, yeah, Brandon Staley. I mean, just the, everything is just going wrong. The game that's intriguing to me is the, is the Broncos uh, because that that game they played against what was it, the Bills. And they should have lost, and they ended up winning it, you know, because on the uh, the penalty on the field goal at the very end. But it's incredible how Denver is so much better now than they were at the beginning of the season. I mean, I'm I'm just shocked by it all because I figured this was going to be like you know way under 500, um, and they're ended up you know they're 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 competitive. I mean, they're kind of in the playoff hunt, aren't they? On the periphery, yeah, on the periphery. But I'm not hallucinating. Denver did beat Kansas City and Buffalo. That's amazing. It, it is incredible. <laughs> now, what do you think is going wrong with Buffalo? Is it is all Josh Allen and his his Wyomingness is inaccuracy, or is it something else? Well, I think they got offensive problems, and that's why they fired Ken Dorsey, the coordinator, this week. And mm-hmm. Josh Allen said, "Blame me. I screwed all this up. You sure did." But they've had so many injuries on defense. I mean, they've lost half their secondary. They lost their top linebacker, Matt Milano. They're just not the same. Buffalo Bills, Buffalo Mafia defense Mm. that they've been. But they still got half a season to make this thing fly. Okay, those are news and notes. We got a couple other tidbits here. Uh, We got a hockey update story. Yeah, let's let's talk a little bit about this. This this is big news. I've seen news about this on the national media in the regular news segments. I don't quite understand the law in England, but the the picture, of course, is of Adam Johnson, the Pittsburgh Penguin player who had gone abroad to play in Europe. He died a week ago when he got checked in open ice at center ice and got a scut. skate cut on his neck and he bled to death before they ever got him to the hospital. The guy who was involved, the other player uh, has been arrested on involuntary manslaughter charge which is different than manslaughter murder. I don't understand it. I went back, I saw a different angle of the video and the player uh, who was arrested is a defenseman by the name of Martin Pitgrave. He's played over there 31 years of age and he went to check at center ice one of Johnson's teammates, and somehow Pitgrave's right skate made contact with the other guy's skate, and he got thrown off balance and got flipped towards the air, and his left leg went up as Johnson was coming across the ice, and it clipped Johnson. Right. It was not as if he nailed Johnson intentionally. He was checking another guy. Ah. And so I don't quite understand how this can be any type of involuntary manslaughter. Players in the NHL have sounded off saying this makes no sense at all. This was not intentional. Players on both those teams, Nottingham Forest and Sheffield from the English Premier League, said it was an accident. It was a hockey accident. It was a horrible accident. So that's where we are. That guy has been he's been out on bail, I think, since yesterday, $50,000. But they're charging him with involuntary manslaughter. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Um, it sounded like an accident. It's clearly he didn't have a motive to kill the guy. He was trying to check the, the other right, guy. Right. So, yeah, this shouldn't be a court case at all. Uh, we go from hockey to soccer. Boy, you got some interesting stories here. Yeah, I mean, the soccer season, man. Is this men's team or, or women's team? What do you got here? we got two topics here. Team USA plays tonight, Trinidad, uh, in the Nations League tournament. It's a CONCACAF qualifying tournament. But they're going to have to play it with rookies. Christian Pulisic cannot play. Hamstring injury, playing for AC Milan. Uh, They're also out another one of their veteran players, Tim Weah. He's got a hamstring. So their roster tonight is going to be made up of Fab Belogan, Ricardo Pepe, 
Alexander Zendejas. Those will be their goal scorers. So it's mm-hmm. kind of a really young offensive lineup uh, that uh, Greg Berhalter is putting on the pitch. They play Trinidad tonight. It's the first of two games against Trinidad, Trinidad Tobago in the Nations League. The other story is on the other street corner, Team USA's women. They hire Emma Hayes from Chelsea. Right. Unbelievable reputation. It's just a fierce, hard-driving head coach. She just got paid an all-time global record, $1.6 million. She is earning the exact figure that Greg Berhalter is earning right. as the men's coach. So that's that's kind of cool. She won't be here till the 1st of January. She's got to finish up English Premier League deal uh, deals. And then, obviously, she's got to dive back in because they'll be playing a whole bunch of friendlies, a whole bunch of tournaments for the women as they go towards the Women's World Cup. So she brings great, great credentials, but... She is fierce as a head coach in terms of a task master, but she's the best women's head coach in the country, in the globe, and they they paid a price to get her. Oh, yeah. I mean, and you see a picture of her, and she— Looks like a strong woman. Like she's oh, gonna, my. yeah. Like she's gonna mm-hmm. give you a check, you know. Um, but you know, I was looking at photos of her, you know, and almost every photo she's carrying a trophy. You know, if it's like the Premier League trophy, or I don't know what other leagues they're in. So this woman has great success. So g- great for the women. The men are playing tonight too. We got Tuesday night football. I mean, we're gonna be like burning through our remote control. And it's a challenge for the men to do it without their star veterans. That's mm-hmm. gonna be a challenge. It's be up to the kids to score goals against Trinidad. On we go. Fans forum coming up. Hey, just a quick reminder. John, explain very briefly what we're doing with Hacksaw's new Insiders Group. Yeah, the Hacksaw Insiders Group. It's your chance to get involved. Just go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com. Go to the website. Fill out your name and email in the orange box. You'll get involved. We're building the list now. We're just starting to send out some content. We sent out the best 15 minutes in sports this morning. But we've got a lot of ideas, things cooking. If you want to get involved, you want to be part of Hacksaw's team, join Hacksaw's Insiders Group. Fans Forum, we got questions. I know we got some answers and opinions. Hey, it's your turn to take this over. John, these are all your best friends. And yeah, some of those questions are from Love Field. Go ahead. Yeah, there are a few of them here. Okay, let's uh, let's get Angel in here. And he says, my heart goes out to San Diego and all the Padre fans. Peter Seiler is one of the nicest people. And he's the reason why the Padres went from fire sale every season to one of the N- N- National League elite. He's one of the most unique human beings I think I've ever met. And I've done this for a long time as a talk show host and as an NFL voice. He is just, as an owner, he has to be the most unique owner I think I've ever met. I mean, what a kind, generous, intelligent person. There's everything good was about him. Oh, yeah. Uh, unbelievable. And there's a lot of other people here that are commenting that all have you know words of, of love to share. Rest in peace, Peter Seidler. This is from Hitman 6191. Rest in peace, Peter Seidler. Thank you guys for coming on in these difficult times. Tell you what, he's probably up there at the gates trying to sell a season ticket uh, to his St. Peter oh. at the gate in heaven, <laughs> trying to get that guy to buy season tickets for Padre Baseball. Yeah, you know he is. Here we got some more comments here. This one's from John. He says, June Jones was the interim head coach of the Chargers. Oh, that's right. When Kevin Punching Bag Gilbride was fired. That's right. June Jones and Mike Rowley were part of that entourage. Yes, I, I knew there was something. Uh, during the Ryan Leaf era, and yeah. that didn't work out very well. I I felt bad. I've known June forever, and I obviously had a really great relationship with Mike Rowley, and 
Chargers had left our station, I had become the voice of the Seattle Seahawks and went up there for three years. And that first year after Gilbride got bounced, we played the Chargers at the end of the season. Seahawks were still in the AFC West. And I went back and looked this up this past week because I had forgotten how bad it was. And the Seahawks just blew them into the parking lot. And Ryan Leaf and Craig Wheelahan between them threw seven interceptions in one game. Oh, my God. Up at, uh, in the kingdom. I couldn't <laughs> believe it. it just, so I was excited the Seahawks won, and I kind of looked across into the owner's box and said, hey, take that. You know, it's interesting bringing up Kevin Gilbride, because I remember when he was the head coach, Charger fans were just so angry. It was a difficult time for the, the team. Well, he and, came in with great credentials. Yes, as an offensive coordinator, right? And then he just, his personality flipped. It was terrible. And it was complicated because he lost Stan Humphreys. Oh, yeah. Humphreys, that first year, suffered a season-ending concussion on just a brutal hit in Cincinnati. He never played in the NFL again. And the Chargers never won a game the rest of that season after Humphreys went down. And then next year, it started just as bad. And it was just a terrible, terrible time. But brain lock, yeah. June Jones was here for about 15 minutes with Mike Riley. They were fun guys, but... At that point in time, the roster was falling apart. Yeah, crazy times. Let's go here to Gary. He says, are the Chargers going to throw in the towel and ride the Staley disaster till the end of the season? Well, I don't think he's going to get fired now, but it, it, this is a this is a tough hill for them to run up, John. You know, it's not that they're going to Green Bay, Lambeau, and the, the frozen tundra. I don't <laughs> think it's going to be like that. But they still got to play Buffalo, and they still got to play Baltimore. And they still they got to go play the Raiders in Vegas. They still got to play Mahomes in Kansas City and Andy Reid. Oh, jeez. So they, they've got some really tough games. And, you know, I think for them, because everything else that's happening in the AFC, I think somebody's going to need to win 10. I don't know how they're going to get to 10 wins because they're 4 and 5 right now. Yeah. I mean, I just don't see them making the playoffs at all. But, you know, let's say Kevin Gilbride and then Brandon Staley, both coordinators. They never really worked as head coaches. Well, as Tony Romo said on the Sunday night broadcast, how in the world is Justin Herbert a 500 quarterback with his talent? Well, it's a team. It's a franchise. Yeah. It's chargering. <laughs> exactly. We move on. Moving on. And this is from Howard. He says, Hacksaw, I miss listening to you on the radio. i glad I found you. You were one of the best on radio when it comes to sports talk and without the <laughs> nonsense. Well, it proves one thing. If you do this long enough... You should get good enough at it. Yeah. And I did. I'm not apologizing for being bleeping brilliant, but I miss it. I really do. I I wish that some of these talk show hosts would have called me and said, hey, Lee, come on and talk about Peter Seidler. Nobody did. Uh, I, I don't know whether it's it's media jealousy or they maybe they don't like what I did, don't respect what I did. But that's why we're doing our own shows here. And this thing is just absolutely blowing up. But uh, had a good run. Do miss it. Still have a lot of friends in the industry. Stay in contact. It's weird. I know I'm wired different. You know I'm wired different. Just a little. I'm Thank you. I'm still, still friends with the guys who fired me or bought me out. Mm-hmm. I'm still friends with each of them. It's kind of... I'm wired differently. I'm stupid. Well, I know a lot of fans of Kaplan and crew have been asking Scott to book you on his show. He keeps saying, I will, I will. And because I email with him all the time, Mm -hmm. I'm waiting. Maybe I'll have him on our show and I'll trade off. He'll have me on his show. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. We carry on. Okay, let's go to Steve. And he says, finally, the hockey thug is charged. Dirty play. And there was intent. Well, I looked at it. I got I saw a lower ice angle. And that defenseman hit 
the other player at center ice, and their skates, is, it looked like their skates tapped, and he went off balance, and his left leg went up in the air. I don't, I don't know. He was flying. I mean, he was just not skating, not figure skating. I mean, he was flying to make a check to take that player away from the puck. I I don't see it as being manslaughter. I just I don't understand it, unless I'm missing an angle and I haven't I haven't been able to find different angles. But I saw low level angle where the defenseman lost his balance and that left leg shut up. It was terrible. What are some other cases in pro sports where a player died on the field or on the court, not from you know like a heart problem, but but but, but like some form of impact? Like well, well, Sterile Stingley was injured. Well, but, he got injured on a violent hit. Right. It was an old Detroit Lion wide receiver who died on the field. He had a heart attack on the field. Chuck Hughes. Mm. Um, there have not. I don't think there have been any other fatalities on, in pro football, um, in baseball. Guys got beaned and died, but mm. not, I don't think, not on the field. Uh, I think there's one major leaguer who died, Ray Chapman. This goes back to 1920 Cleveland Indians history. He got hit in the head, and of course they didn't have helmets back then. He got hit in the head and he died on the way to the hospital. Uh, he, was, he was hit in a Yankee-Cleveland Indian game. Um, but I, I don't think they're very... Any modern day fatalities? Yeah, well, thank goodness. But you know, I saw just a still photo of of Adam Johnson in the skate, and it was really weird the way the guy's body and the leg was way up in the air. It didn't seem natural. So I, yeah, I have a hard time seeing that as intent. Well, I think if you just go back in YouTube, maybe you'll be able to find. It took me a while to chase it down, mm-hmm. but maybe you'll get the same angle. We'll talk more about it. Okay, let's get some social media comments in here. We got a bunch of those as well. Um, let's get a shot here at the Raiders. This is from Joey, and he says, Raider fan is not the brightest demographic. <laughs> Most are capable of change or dressing themselves without assistance, for that matter. Oh, shame on you for piling on those people. Uh, do you want to repeat it again? Uh, a Raider fan is passionate. That's cool. That's great. I've, I'm, I met... There's a guy who was in Oakland and he went to all the Raider games in L.A. and came to San Diego to watch Raiders play the Chargers. And he was the guy that had all the paint, face paint, and he had the spikes on his shoulder pads. Mm -hmm. Nicest gentleman at all. (laughs) Now, I don't think I'd give him all my money being a banker investor as he was, but cool guy. So he gave me a picture, autographed picture, so I put it up on the wall so Raider fans could say, hey, Hacksaw's got one friend. But, uh, <laughs> hey, they're passionate, they're cool. But somewhere along the way, don't you have to hold accountability to what this franchise has become, or are you just doing it blind faith? Well, it, you know, I've been reading all the comments on social media, and they take pride in being Raider Nation for life, kind of like, like Aztec for life, you know, and they're going to stick with the Raiders through, you know, thick and thin. But they still remember being 13-0 and in Monday Night Football. They still remember their three Super Bowl trophies. Uh, they're a diehard group, man. And uh, you got to give them credit for sticking with them when the times get tough. Oh, yeah. They use the word family all the time in Raider Nation. And uh, my <laughs> response is Raider fan out of jail on bail. Call now. <laughs> All right, let's get a couple more comments here. And this one is from Dodger 607. He says, Lake, because you're talking about the Lakers and all their challenges. He says, the Lakers made 22 three-pointers last night. I guess you missed that. Well, that was a couple nights ago. Correct. Yeah, thank God they're playing Memphis. You know, <laughs> Memphis without John Morant and with a 2-8 and eight record. Um, so I'll just spin this back. Is there a return button on this computer we can hit? <laughs> so the Dodger 
fan here will understand that when I looked up on TV last night, they had a 20-point lead, the Lakers did, and the next time I looked up, they were down by 26. Oh, my God. Yeah, and they lost Yeah, well, to I'm, Sacramento, which had been playing really poorly out of the gate. So they're work in progress. My biggest concern, as we said on that, the, that one Instagram post that we shot at you, is my biggest concern is we're, what, two weeks into the season, and we've already had injuries to LeBron and A.D., Mm-hmm. And if they're not on the court, and yeah. Austin Reeves is not playing like Austin Reeves played a year ago, they don't look they don't look competitive at all right now. So, mm. No, but there's a lot of basketball to be played. But uh, so yeah, you can pile on and say, hey, they hit 22 trays, and I'll respond. Yeah, last night they were down by 26. First time I punched it up. <laughs> uh, let's get another comment here. This is from Mixtape Manny, and he says. Padres could have Jesus manage the team, and they will still come in third place. When they realize it's not the manager, it's the GM that has created this oil slick, that will be a game changer. One year. That's all he's got left. Preller's got one year to rally this thing back. Now, that being said, if he holds this roster together, I do believe those guys are going to hit better next year because they were all substandard statistically this season. And I, I, you know, I trust OJ to go find AJ to go find <laughs> players because that's what AJ's yeah. history has been. I, you know, when he signed all those guys out of Japan and he gave them all five and eight million dollar a year contracts, I said, "What?" Nick Martinez and Suarez and Luis Garcia, and I knew Garcia because he had pitched with the Cardinals. I said, "Boy, that's strange." But I'll tell you what: the two years those guys have been here together, they've they've repaid the team. They played very well. Now the price tag always goes up on guys, but. Uh, let, let, let's let A.J. do his thing, and then we'll make our evaluation. But in the big picture, he's got an issue because the buffer there is no longer there with the passing of St. Peter. Right. And now that he will be held accountable by a different set of people with a different criteria. So, I, you know, they're going to they're gonna reel him in financially in terms of the budget, and he can't afford to be making catastrophic financial investments that don't work out. And the other problem is he can't trade any of these guys. Nobody wants those contracts for the years of those contracts with the player's age as part of the contracts. That makes sense? Yeah, yeah. They're in a really tough position. But think of this through. The Padres had the Cy Young Award winner. They had two gold glovers. Yep. Juan Soto was a silver slugger for left field. Did Tatis win the Platinum Glove? Yes. Yeah, so that's the best defensive player in all of the National League, I think. And they didn't make the playoffs. And, yeah, that's what I was, that's the point. And they also were, had like a run differential of like about 100 or something like that. It's incredible they didn't make it last year. So that's where we are. I think he's got one year to solve it. But I trust I trust him because he puts lots of boots on the ground and they go find players. Now, he may have to pay these players a little bit differently because St. Peter won't be there to give him the blank check I don't think, going forward. But um, a year from today, maybe they're a playoff team and they're going to be good. Or maybe a year from today, we're talking about who the next general manager might be. Oh, yeah. yeah and here we go again. One more. One more. Let's do, talk a little F1 because he's got that big race in Vegas coming up. This is from Johnny, and he says, There isn't any anti-American sediment as F1 rights are now open by Liberty, which is an American company, and F1 has... Three races in America. Not sure what five you were talking about. The teams are against sharing the money with anyone. Doesn't matter if it's USA or not. Well, it's interesting because Michael Andretti just did a deal with Cadillac and GM, and they're going to build his engines. Obviously, they're waiting to get approval, and they're running in. The other 10 teams don't want them there. They don't want to share the pie. But if you bring and 
Andretti and Cadillac in, and they do really well. And it's a challenge. And going being an American and going F1 is really hard to make a team successful. But Andretti's got this great track record. If that happens, then you got an American entry, which I think makes makes the marketing of F1 even bigger as a financial boom, which means they're, they're going to add two more races. I don't know if they're going back to Montreal, but they're going to at least two more locales stateside in the next two to three to five years. But if you had an American team carrying the F1 flag and it was Michael Andretti, whose track record speaks for itself, but they have to change the psyche of the Euro teams, which right now are dominated by Red Bull and used to be dominated by Mercedes, and everybody else seems to be starving. You know, and the response, I was told the response last Friday from the F1 side was, we don't want you as an expansion team. We don't want to go beyond the 10 teams that are on the grid. Buy one of these money trouble teams and take that over. Mm. So if Andretti does not finally get approved, he's done everything, the 200 million fee and all the contracts, that's all been done up up to snuff. If they won't let him in, then maybe he has to buy the Sauber team or one of these other second tier teams and he'll have to take it over and they'll fire everybody. Yeah. But there'll be 10, 10 teams on the grid mm-hmm. still rather than in 11th. It's like kind of like buying a liquor license, you know? There's only so many of them that go around, and you buy the place, and you blow it out, and you start over. Hey, what do you think of that course in Las Vegas? I saw the map of it, and it looked pretty cool. Well, they're going down the strip. There's a lot of screaming mm-hmm. uh, that, that this has been unfair to all the hotels and the businesses because they charged all the hotels that have windows that look out onto the main thoroughfare. Mm-hmm. They have to pay a fee. Really? Yeah. Wow. And the ticket prices were absurd. And everybody was excited when the announcement, you know, Grand Prix Las Vegas on the Strip, hotels, parties, and all that. And a pile of people bought a lot of really expensive tickets, like $2,000 a ticket. Wow. There are so many tickets available now on the second, what do you call it? Yeah, the aftermarket. Yeah, retail, resale market. Yeah. Tons. And there's tons of hotel rooms available. I don't know if this is going to be a boondoggle financially, but F1 went in and said, you got to pay this price, and the the hardcores bought it at that price, and nobody's bought it since. There's a phenomenal number of tickets available in hotel spaces, not rented out, and the drivers aren't happy. It's kind of weird. Max Verstappen said yesterday, he says they turn this thing into a circus. He says we have no time to prepare for this race because they got us going here, there, everywhere. Oh yeah. So some of the drivers are not real happy with the the storyline either. So we'll see what the race is like, but. Uh, I think they overpriced everything, and now there just seems to be a chunk of lash back there. Well, it sounds a little bit like Snapdragon Stadium and the Aztec games are charging too much. And I know that the Aztec basketball is going to be in Vegas, and Mark Ziegler was talking about how the hotel prices were so high because of the F1 race. But I'm going to watch it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, very much so. Hey, listen, we hope you have enjoyed our Thursday podcast. We're here every Thursday. We do the bonus Monday podcast. A reminder, want you to join Hacksaw's Insiders Group. Please go to my website and register. It's a big orange box right on the upper right of the homepage because we got a lot of plans going towards 2024. Reminder, share, tell your friends what we're doing. If you can, give us a thumbs up. We need friends. <laughs> give us a five-star rating because Johnson left field. You didn't get a lot of positive <laughs> vibes out there. Hey, listen, John, have yourself a great sports weekend. We'll catch you come Monday. Come Monday. And have yourself a great sports weekend, too. Thanks for joining us on Hacksaw's Headlines. 
Join us again for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. Touchdown, San Diego! For more content, go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com.